as we continue, speaking of Israel, in our Book of Revelation series, we are about to see today, we're going we're gonna to see, we're going to read about the greatest revival the world will ever see. So amidst all the chaos and everything that's, that's happening with the unsealing of the scroll that we read about last week and the start of the tribulation will come a great revival. The followers of Jesus, the believers in Jesus will be raptured up off of this earth and then chaos is going to ensue. Judgment, the first round of judgment will, be, will, will come upon the earth in the form of the breaking of these seals. It's called the seal judgments. And then there will be the trumpet judgments and then the bowl judgments. We'll, we'll, we'll get into all of this. But within all of that will come a great revival. Now last week in chapter 6, the lamb, Jesus, broke open the sixth seal. Now the seventh seal uh, uh, prepares the way for the trumpet judgments to come. And right now, today, what we'll see is there's a little, there's a little break, there's a little inter, interlude, or you could call it a parenthesis, between the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments. And that's what we're going to look at today. But as the sixth seal was broken, these cosmic events happen. Stars fall from the sky, earthquakes happen, mountains are moved, islands are moved. It's chaotic. And, there's, and, 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 it, and it said, as we read, uh, generals and leaders and, and, and wealthy and poor, everybody who rejects God during this time hides in the mountains and in the rocks. And they cry out for the rocks to fall on them as they say, who can stand the great day of wrath from the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb? Somehow they know that what is happening is coming from God, and yet they would rather die than repent. They cry out for the rocks to fall on them, and they say, who is able to survive? Or who is able to stand? And what they don't know is there are two groups of people who can answer this question. And we're going to look at them today. One group... One group will survive throughout the remainder of the tribulation with the seal of God's protection, eventually gaining eternity in heaven. And then the other group would survive. <laughs> I'm a little excited. The other group would survive by gaining victory in eternal, in, uh, the, the victory of eternal life in heaven but they will lose their lives here on this earth but gain eternal life in heaven and they gain a special place in heaven you know that phrase well they that that person's earn a special place in heaven well there are special places in heaven and we're going to see where this other group of people will be in heaven for what they endured here on this earth so so this brings us to uh, chapter 7 in the book of revelation that's where we'll be at today And before the Lamb breaks open the seventh seal, we have kind of a break in the action, so to speak. Like there's, there's these little... Okay, so during ministry time here at this church, you may often hear me say there's, there's special moments in time 
Well, I believe God wants to deposit an anointing on us or a blessing on us, or the hand of God wants to touch us in a way that we've never felt him in our lives. I believe that, that there are moments in time where these deposits of God's Holy Spirit, God's presence, God's kingdom breaks into our lives, and we experience him in a way that we've never experienced him before. I, I wholeheartedly believe in that. And I believe that in the book of Revelation, we see these moments where, where a, a special deposit of God's anointing falls on the earth in the midst of all this chaos, in the form of revivals. You, you know, we actually, we just, we just experienced that with, uh, uh, it was Asbury University in Kentucky, they had a revival just recently. And so this is what happens here. There's chaos around the world, but yet, there's these special moments where revival breaks out. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Revelation chapter 7, and we'll start with verses 1 through 3. So again, this is the Apostle John. Then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds so they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even on any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east, carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea. Wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. Interesting scene right there, right? In essence, what is happening here is the answer to the world's question. Who can survive the wrath of God? Who can survive God's judgments? The four corners of the earth are quite possibly in reference to a compass, the north, the south, the east, and the west, the entire earth. And the winds are often seen in, in, in prophetic language as, as a destructive force of God's judgment. Now, that doesn't mean if a, if a strong windstorm blew through Reynoldsburg right now that God was judging the city, uh, depending on what we were doing, right? I mean, not everything is God's judgment. But in prophetic language, winds are often seen as a destructive force of God's judgment. And the phrase, for winds, is not new, as we'll see in Old Testament prophet language. For instance, in the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 7, Daniel says, In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. Now, I'm reading and teaching from the New Living Translation. For many years, it was the New King James, but I started reading the Bible with the NLT, and now I've kind of gone back to it. I just find it's a little easier read. But I always, if I want to cross-reference something, go back to the King James, or the New King James. I don't think it, as long as we're reading the Bible, church, if it's a NIV, ESE, you know, NLT, New King James, as long as we're reading the Word of God, that's what counts. But listen to what the New King James says in, in, in the same uh, passage from, from Daniel. The four winds of heaven were stirring up the great See, these are these four winds. Zechariah chapter 2 says, Come away, flee from Babylon in the land of the north, says the Lord, for I have scattered you to the four winds. 
I think it's another place in, in Zechariah or maybe in Ezekiel where these four winds are referred to as the four spirits. So obviously this is something that God uses, these, these four winds. Now John sees four angels holding back these four winds. This is why we, I, I believe this kind of entails the compass, these four winds, north, south, east, and west. And there's angels holding back what is about to happen. And then another angel coming from the east, carrying the seal of the living God, saying in verse 3, wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. It appears that these angels are holding back the next round of judgments, which is what we call the trumpet judgments. Now, if we fast forward to chapter 14 in verse 1, we will see that this seal of God bears the name of the Lamb and of the Father. Okay, so that's what this is. Next verse, Revelation 7, verse 4. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. Of the tribes of Israel, there are 12,000 from each tribe that have the seal of God on their foreheads. If you, if you read it, it lists off all the, the, all the 12 tribes and the fact that there's 12,000 from each tribe. Now, if you really do a deep dive in this and you, and you compare the tribes of Israel from the book of Genesis, the list, and this tribe right here, you will notice that the tribe of Dan is not mentioned and the tribe of Manasseh is there in their place. Many of the commentaries will tell us that they believe the tribe of Dan was the tribe that introduced idolatry into the nation of Israel, and so therefore they are omitted in the book of Revelation. Nevertheless, these are 12 tribes of Israel in the last days. And there's 12,000 from each tribe who have this, this seal of God marked on them, on their foreheads it says. Now, we don't know exactly what this looks like, right? Like, I mean, it looks like something, some kind of a mark. What we do know is there will be no mistaking who these 144,000 serve. They will be identified as God's people, as, his, as God's servants, as his people during this time of tribulation. They are chosen by God for this very time to reach the Jewish people for Jesus. Throughout the years, in, in our lifetimes, there have been some incorrect assumptions as to who these 144,000 are. For instance, Seventh-day Adventists believe this refers to them simply because they observe the Jewish Sabbath. One that we may all be familiar with is Jehovah Witnesses believe that this refers to them. Originally, they believed that only 144,000 were going to heaven, which would be them, anybody who belongs to their religion. And then as the world's population grew, they said, oh, no, wait a minute, maybe it's just a special group of us that will be in that number. Well, we can read right here that the Bible is very clear. 
that the 144,000 that is sealed by God are from the tribes of Israel. There are no Gentiles among them. This is the nation of Israel and God's call to salvation for his chosen people. And we will see, and we'll, we'll see more about this 144,000 later on in chapter 14. But for now, what we do know is that they are God's servants during this time of tribulation, his faithful witnesses for his chosen people who are sealed by his protection and filled with his power to fulfill the Old Testament calling spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. Listen to this in Isaiah chapter 43. And this entire chapter is about the Savior of Israel and, and, and God's promise of victory for his people. The whole chapter 43, we're not going to read it all, but we're going to read two sections of it. First, we're going to start in verse uh, 5 through 7. This is what God says through Isaiah. Don't be afraid to, to his people, to the Israelites. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from east and west. I will say to the north and south, Bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Then I want to read verses 10 through 13. But you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God, there never has been, and there never will be. I, yes, I am the Lord, and there is no other Savior. First, I predicted your rescue, then I saved you and proclaimed it to the world. Oh, I looked up. No foreign God has ever done this. You are the witnesses that I am the only God, says the Lord. From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. This is the word of God to his people. And, and, and read the entire chapter 43 in the book of Isaiah. It's all about God's promise for his people and his salvation for his people and the fact that their savior is Jesus. Now, let's just talk about this seal for a minute. Us, the moment we ask Jesus into our lives and we put our faith in him, we are sealed by him. Did you know that? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says this, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Now, identified you as his own. In the King James reads, sealed for the day of redemption. We don't have a seal or a mark on our foreheads, but we are sealed in our hearts by God's Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised to us. Again, King James read, who has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts. Even Jesus, when he was talking about who he was, says that I have been given the seal of approval by my Father. So, so now... We see in the book of Re in chapter 7, that part of the question can be answered, who will be able to survive the judgment of the one who sits on the throne and of the Lamb? The Jewish 
evangelists who have been supernaturally sealed by God, identified as his own, and those who come to faith in Jesus because of the good news that they preach. I believe, what I think is, I think they start in Israel, this 144,000, and they go globally and preach the good news somehow, and people hear them. I think during this time, too, that like the internet will come into play a little bit, but honestly, I'm thinking God doesn't need the internet. I'm thinking a lot of this will be like actually seen and heard and witnessed because that's what it will take. For people to believe what they are hearing. And again, we're going to read more about these Jewish evangelists in chapter 14. But here we are. Now, the focus of these events shift from what is happening here on the earth to what is happening in heaven. Let's continue Revelation 7. Let's, we'll continue in the, uh, uh, verse 9. 9 and 10. So after this, after John witnessed the seal of the 144,000, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. After John sees the angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding these winds back and the sealing, the seal that is placed on the foreheads of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists from the 12 tribes of Israel, he sees a vast crowd, too big to count. Billions, this is billions and billions of people he's seeing right now. I don't, like, like... I was going to try to give you a description of what I see this scene looking like in my head, and I, and I don't think I can. Like, these are the redeemed. This will be us. This will be everybody that puts their faith in Jesus, proclaiming victory, worshiping Jesus, waving palm branches as a sign of victory. Every tribe, nation, people, and language standing before the throne and the Lamb, praising the salvation that comes from the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb, God the Father and God the Son. And they are clothed in white robes, waving palm branches and shouting with a great roar, like shouting like billions of people praising God. There's another scene that we're very familiar with where palm branches were a part of, right? When Jesus allowed the people to openly proclaim him as the Messiah. We refer to that now as Palm Sunday. This is an incredible scene of victory in heaven. This is the redeemed. This is all those who put their faith in Jesus. All those who put their faith in Jesus. You know, if I could just interject something here. This is going to be later on in, in this book that we look at. But, you know, people wonder, who's going to be in heaven? Jesus said, all who are thirsty and all who are hungry and all who call upon my name, all who believe in me, 
that I am the Son of God and that God raised me from the dead shall be saved. That's in Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul writes. But Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Something we never see in the scriptures. Jesus never says, get your life together first. He says, if you're thirsty for me, if you're hungry for me, if you invite me into your life, that's who this is. The redeemed. Those who called upon the name of Jesus. And they're praising him. They're clothed in white robes. And then, the next scene, we, we, won't, we won't read it, but, but the next scene says that the angels, the 24 elders, and the four living beings who are in the throne room fall face down, and they worship God, and they cry out to him, and they praise him. This is the same scene that we saw in chapter 4, the throne room. Those who are in the throne room, the four seraphim that, that, that circle and fly around the throne, and the 24 elders... Worship God. And then one of the elders, and, and, and this is what I see right here. This is, uh, so I picture John like this. John's just like, oh, like speechless. Like I don't even know, I don't even know. I don't even know what I'm looking, what, what am I, like all these people, palm branches and, and as far as the eye can see. And then one of the 24 elders asks me, like, hey, bud, I've got a question for you. Who, who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? Like, like, hey, John, pay attention. There's another group to your left. I said to him, sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. These are the ones who have been persecuted and martyred during the Great Tribulation. Some of your versions might say, or have come out of the Tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. There's another group of people here. As his attention shifts from this vast multitude to another crowd of people, John has no idea who this crowd of people is. Who, who is this crowd? Who are these? This crowd is referred to as the tribulation saints. If you'll remember, uh, when the fifth seal was broken open, John said, I saw beneath the altar those who had been martyred for their faith, and they were crying out for the vengeance of those who had killed them. And they were told, they were given white robes and they were told to rest just a little while longer until the full number of your brothers and sisters, your fellow servants, joins you. This is them. These are the ones who gave their lives for Jesus during the tribulation period. All of them, finally together, praising God the Father and God the Son. I suspect, now, now this, this is me thinking here, like what is it going to be like on earth during, during this entire time? 
And I suspect during the tribulation, this group of people here will have heard the gospel from a variety of sources. First of all, millions of people, millions and millions worldwide just disappear. Then this world leader comes up and he makes this peace treaty with Israel and he, and he, he creates peace with all the nations. We could refer to that as a Cold War, right? Like in the 80s with Russia, does everybody remember? Anybody remember? I was in like the fifth grade, but we, we were taught. And he makes peace around the world. And then these events happen, a famine and wars and wild animals going crazy and stars falling from the sky. And, and, and I don't believe in Jesus. I, I told my brother and my sister, my friend, my coworker, you know, I don't, I don't need that. I don't buy into your faith. And now I'm thinking they were right. And so I scramble to find a Bible, right? And I start reading it, and I go straight to Revelation. <gasps> and I have a moment with Jesus. Well, guess what? You will be put to death for your faith at this time. Or, or some of them... Well, here's this Jewish remnant that comes out of Israel. And again, I don't know how this is going to look, but they're going to preach the gospel of Jesus all around the world. And they're preaching to the Jewish people. But there will be, I'm sure, some Gentiles that hear this that say, oh my. <laughs> and they put their faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit will still be at work and people will still get convicted and people will still put their faith in Jesus at this time because this is God's final call to salvation for mankind or in revelation chapter 11 just we'll fast forward a little bit there are these two people they are called the two witnesses and they prophesy in sackcloth and then they're put to death and they lie in the streets for three days and they come back to life they're god's servants we'll read about them or there's one more in chapter 14. We will see a great harvesting of the earth before the final round of judgment, the bowl judgment. This is called a great harvest of the earth where God, this is midpoint through the tribulation period. Midpoint and starting the second half of the tribulation period is when these bowl judgments come out and, and we, you know, you don't want to be around for that. But during this point, it's called a great harvesting of the earth, and, and God calls people. I think it's like one final shout call to salvation for everybody. It's referred to as a great harvest. These are all different. So like, like this is what I'm saying. Like There are these, these periods of time, these, these moments in time during the tribulation period, during all this chaos and, and judgment and things like that, where God's Holy Spirit is going to fall on the earth and people will put their faith in Jesus. Some of them will know that they're going to be put to death for this. The 144,000, they're sealed. They have God's protection. They're, 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 they're getting through this. It's because God has, has set them apart for such a time as this. And then, finally, in chapter 19, we see the resurrection of the tribulation saints. 
Chapter 19 is the culmination of the greatest revival the world has ever seen as God's final call to salvation for all mankind throughout the tribulation period. I think what we're seeing here in chapter 7 is a foreshadow of what we will read about in chapter 19. It's this, the tribulation period, okay, is a seven-year call to salvation. Although judgment will fall on the earth, there will be those who continue to raise their fists at God and would rather be dead because they... This, I, I don't, for whatever reason, they refuse to believe in a God that loves them. And with all their being, they will fight against the love he has for him, for them. And they will spend eternity separated from him because that's what they chose. When I read of the, this final, this great harvesting of the earth, what I see is, this is it. I mean, if God is calling you to him, he is reaching you. Each one of us, specifically, he will speak to us in our own way. And yet some will refuse. A seven-year call to salvation where every tribe, tongue, and nation will be given a final chance to accept Jesus as their Lord during this tribulation period. And really, what this does is, this echoes what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia in chapter 3, starting in verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all have been united with Christ in baptism, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. Like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When you read Paul's letters to these churches, he was constantly trying to get this message across that you are all now one in Christ Jesus. Because people were coming to Jesus, and they were coming to church, and they were saying, I'm not going to be a part of what they're doing here. I don't like this people group. I don't like Samaritans. I don't like Jewish people. I don't like Gentiles. Yeah, but you're here now, and you all have one thing in common. And when you get to heaven... There is not going to be a Jew or a Gentile, a slave or a free or a male or a female. You are all going to be one in Christ. And that's what we're seeing in, in, in Revelation here. You know, church, we may look different on the outside. We may come from a different place, a different country, speak a different language. Have a different accent. Come from a different culture. But here's the thing. If we place our faith in Jesus, we are all called to one place. And God is crying out for his people to put, to put their faith in his son, Jesus. That should be our cry as followers of Jesus, for those around us. If we, who claim to be Christians, cannot look past the difference of our neighbor, 
then we have a lot to work on. My hope and prayer and goal and vision for this church is that when people come here, they don't see a predominantly white church. They see a church of every nation, every people group coming together to worship Jesus. And it takes all of us to have that same vision. Everybody says you're welcome here, you know, when, at their church. But do we really mean that? Do we really mean, can we really hang out with a person whose culture is different than ours? When you really get to know somebody. Because cultures are different. And that's where things kind of clash. Where the tension of the gospel breaks through in our lives. Can I really get to know this person and do life with them when they are culturally different than I am? Because the cry of God's heart is, yes, we need to learn to do that. Amen? Listen, the kingdom of God is for all to partake in on earth as it is in heaven. John, the apostle John, wrote in his gospel, chapter 1, but to all who believed in him, who believed in Jesus and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. All who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. Now first, John witnesses a vast crowd clothed in white robes, waving palm branches as a sign of victory, praising the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb. And then we see another crowd of people clothed in white robes who are the ones who gave their lives during the Great Tribulation period, the Tribulation Saints. Now listen to this. Church, this is just... We should just know this, but this is mind-blowing to me. <clears throat> Verse 14. I said to him, sir, you know who these are. Then he said to me, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. That is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. This is a beautiful destination and promise given to those who give their lives during the tribulation period. These tribulation saints serve God day and night in his temple because of what they endured here on earth. I'm sorry, I don't want to endure that. I don't want to get raptured out of here. These people deserve their place in the temple. They are given a special place in heaven as temple servants with special duties to carry out for God himself. I find it fascinating that, that these tribulation saints receive a special place in the temple, in the throne room, serving God day and night. Not fascinating like, who are they? But like, wow. Wow. God has a place reserved for them. 
Now, these passages, verses 15 through 17, check this out. This fulfills several promises we can find throughout the scriptures. For instance, Psalm 116, verse 15 says, The Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. If the Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die, how much more does he care for his loved ones who give their lives to him during a time of persecution? Not only is God fulfilling a promise that King David wrote in this psalm, but this eternal promise is for all of us who place our faith in Jesus. Listen to what King David, who wrote most of the psalms, wrote in Psalm 16 concerning our eternity. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. This is a promise as believers in Jesus that we can hold on to. They will never again be hungry or thirsty or scorched by the heat of the sun. John, chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is a promise that Jesus told all of us that these tribulation saints get to, I mean, this promise is for them. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. Psalm 121, the Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon at night. There is a promise for those who give their lives to Jesus during the tribulation period that is written throughout all the scriptures. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water. Now, come on, everybody should know where I'm going with this one. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. Jesus said, anyone who believes in me, streams of living water will flow from them. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isaiah 25, 8 he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. That's what I find fascinating. All throughout scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, are promises that God has for us. Sometimes I think, like, like I sit up here and preach, I'm like, these are promises we can hold on to. These are promises we can hold on to. These are promises that the tribulation saints have to hold on to and they get to experience this so we'll close with this revelation chapter 7 teaches us some very important truths about god the father he never forgets his promises not about us not about the nation of israel and not about those who suffer for his name as the writer in Hebrews chapter 31 quotes God as saying, I think this is from Deuteronomy 31, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you, says God. 
Nothing is ever lost on God. Yes, he set aside the nation of Israel for a time. They rejected their Messiah. So it's all part of his plan. But then we see, and then he sets them aside, right? Choosing to work through the Gentiles. I will reach the nations. I will reach the Gentiles. And that's what we call the church age. This started after the crucifixion, and we're in it now. But then we see during the tribulation period that God works through the tribes of Israel to preach the good news of Jesus throughout the world. The prophetic clock for the nation of Israel starts back up again. All that he, and, 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 and he has a special place in heaven for those who give their lives during the tribulation period. All those who call upon the name of Jesus will be together as one. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Waving palm branches and claiming the victory that is Jesus' alone to claim. It is God's will to keep his promises and to reward the faithful, the nation of Israel, and the tribulation saints. We'll close with a verse from Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, man, I thank you for today, God. I thank you, Lord, that all throughout your word are promises that we can hold on to. Promises to give us hope, promises to give us life, promises to give us salvation. Promises that when, when the world seems to be falling apart during the tribulation period, you are calling people to you as a last call to salvation. And I thank you for that, Jesus.